0: More about the hat. Capital none. Can Hawaii compete with Google? More Xbox. Bluekeep is back. And we're chatting with Uncle Mark about Wizards and Peons on tonight's Iron Been Podcast, episode 66. A of paranoia welcome to the iron sysadmin podcast all right folks welcome to tonight's show i'm your host nate and joining me tonight uh is a special guest mark richter so mark you want to give us a quick intro as to who you are and why you're
1: here hey nate how you doing yeah so um For those of you who don't know who I am, which is probably most of you, I know Nate through the Red Hat Accelerators, which is a community group that I help run as one of my hobby jobs at Red Hat. So yeah, I'm a a Red Hat technical account manager, and I've been a nerd for a really long time. Really long time.
0: So that that should make it interesting for tonight's main topic, which we will get to in just a bit. We're going to be touching on mentorship and how young people, or at least new people in the industry, may... uh, feel a little intimidated by the folks who have been here forever. Um, So, yeah, should be a good time. All right, so I think what we're going to do is get into the news as usual, and then we will move on from there. So our first article, which this is only kind of ironic because Mark's here, and really it's just because this is news from this week. Like, literally, I picked this up a day or two ago. Uh, this is from itpro.co.uk, and the title of the article is, IBM Doubles Down on Red Hat Independence. So if you're like me, and you've been a fan of Red Hat and Red Hat software for a very long time, uh, when you heard about the IBM purchase, you got worried. Uh, if you're someone like Mark, who works for Red Hat, I don't know, did you get worried, or can't you speak?
1: <laughs> right. So so I'm in, a, I'm in a delicate situation, right? Right um i I can talk about things that we've said publicly um and but I think a lot of the things we've said publicly have acknowledged that a whole lot of fans of Red Hat were nervous when this news came down, right,
0: and rightly so, um, I would say you and
1: I, right I mean it's i b m how many times well, have
0: they bought something, swallowed it up, and destroyed it
1: <laughs> yeah uh well again i, I i i've been involved with uh, mergers and acquisitions and other companies too so they're never they're 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 never an easy time right because it's a big change yeah um i what i can tell you is that uh i went through a lot of emotions that sunday you know i'm sitting there and it, it was the uh we had just had our uh, our we are red hat week celebration which is this big party we have every October saying we're red hat. We're awesome. This is, hey. this is great. And, and we had had a, we had, had a local party here at, a, at a, a friend of mine who I work with in scouting actually owns a local tech company and he's graciously hosted us for the last two years, letting us do our we are red hat week at his place. So th- this is that had been a great time. And then my phone starts blowing up midway through that Sunday you know, people started texting me and they're like, did you see the news? I'm like, wow, what, what? And it it had, you know, the news had broken that, that IBM was, you know, thinking about buying Red Hat, or Red Hat or had bought Red Hat. And at that point it was a rumor, right? But it became pretty clear that, you know, the rumor had some truth to it. And just speaking personally, you know, I went through a lot of emotions, you know, I was obviously surprised. Um, I wasn't, I'm going to be honest, happy wasn't one of of the many emotions at that point, you know, concerned about the future, um, wondering what was going to happen. Um, What we've said the entire time is that, you know, the key to this this, uh, acquisition is Red Hat's culture. Um, When you really look at what Red Hat owned, we had our people, a couple of registered trademarks, and the way we do business, right? The open source way and a a whole bunch of stuff wrapped around that. So for that to continue to work and to be valuable, we we have to be left alone and left to do our own thing. And that's what IBM, you know, that's the management teams on both companies, Red Hat and IBM have stated publicly over and over again. And all I can tell you guys is that, you know, the deal officially closed back in July I was floating on a river in Maine when it came through. So I didn't even know I didn't have the internet. Um, but since that closing day, honestly, my, my day-to-day life hasn't changed. We all think of ourselves as Red Hat. Um, it's, you know, it's business as usual. So I, uh, it, it's cool now, man. It's cool. So well, I think good this article, you know. Yeah, this, this article, I would say, you know, it jives with what we've said publicly, and it jives with my experience as, as a Red Hatter. And again, I, I don't, it's funny, right? I guess I technically work for IBM, but it's one of those little side thoughts that hits me every so often. I, it, it's not even something I think about, right? I, I still think of myself as a Red Hatter, and I think most of us do. I will say what we're publicly sharing jibes with my day-to-day experience and I don't expect that to change.
0: Yeah, and what the article is basically uh, promoting here is the same thing that I have heard from so many folks both inside Red Hat, whether they're just employees or at the top of the food chain, and even people at IBM that I know that have that are basically saying that the IBM Red Hat acquisition is really like and like no other IBM acquisition they've ever seen where it really does feel like Red Hat is actually going to retain autonomy. And this article points out something that I was suspecting from the moment I read that this was supposedly a cloud move. And it's that IBM is interested in packaging OpenStack with some of their products. At least that's what this article implies. And that was really the reasoning behind the whole thing. Um, Not that they don't care about the rest of Red Hat. Uh, according to the article, anyway, at least I would assume that they care about the rest of Red Hat. It's yeah. not like they're going to strip everything else off well, and keep OpenStack, um, which would be a bad thing. I think
1: thing. It's Shift, actually, not Stack. OpenStack is, hey, how do I run AWS in my base? Oh, you're right. It does say Shift. Open I'm shift sorry. Is Kubernetes. So, look, yeah.
0: from, from from a Red Hat customer to a Red Hat employee, you guys are bad at naming things. <laughs> Having two products, having two products that serve such a outwardly similar niche, which would be like self-service private cloud, having named named them so similarly, (laughs) it gets confusing. I know a lot of people that are not in the technical weeds that we, as we are, that really easily confuse OpenShift and OpenStack. And I just did it after just reading this article.
1: (laughs) And I think... And and someone can keep me honest about this. Unlike a situation with like RHEL and Fedora and Satellite and Foreman, where the the enterprise product and the upstream have different names. Right. OpenShift has the same upstream name. You've got the, the upstream OpenShift product. Yeah, it well it project. used to be
0: OpenShift Origin and OpenShift Enterprise were the differences. But yeah. now it's like OpenShift container platform and what is it? OKD, I think, is the the new name for what used to be
1: Origin. I think it got a I, I think it got a little more differentiated, but it could. It yeah, it's it's confusing. I'll right? say that with no. shift
0: with OpenShift four, the upstream seems to have fallen apart from the downstream. Unless I I've, I've missed something. It seems like OKD yeah. and OpenShift are like OKD is still at version three. Is basically what it comes down to. Is there something else it's for? I don't know, but. Anyway.
1: Yeah, so, so my specialty at Red Hat is not OpenShift. I'm a platform tam, which means I focus on RHEL and satellite and some of the more classic stuff. Right. Uh, so, so I don't want to speak too much about Shift at this point. Yeah. And say something wrong. And yeah, let's not do The other nerds at Red Hat will make fun of me.
0: Why did you say that? That was wrong. And, ah, ha, ha. Right. and then you'll have to play You're them. Wrong. You'll have to play on the part of the podcast at the end of this when we talked about how making fun of you is probably not the right way to handle that. <laughs> no,
1: probably not. It can, be, it can feel satisfying, but it, it makes you cry. Yeah. And nobody wants that.
0: Okay, so I think we've beaten that horse to death, and then we had some audio trouble and beat it to death again. So... <laughs>
1: So let's walk away from that. Because let's walk away from the, the most dangerous topic for me, personally, from
0: the tonight. from the minefield that is the IBM Red Hat acquisition. Um, okay, uh, so maybe you guys have heard this is almost old news at this point, as the news cycle on the internet goes. Uh, but like two weeks ago, uh, maybe even three weeks ago, because we haven't recorded a show in a little while, uh, Capital One kind of had a little bit of a breach. Did Did you hear about that? Oh, good lord! I mean, just a little. I. I A little 140,000 social security numbers, 100 million Capital One customers.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Was that the breach? There was some snarky, snarky email. Was that the breach where essentially the company sent out a notice and said, there's been no impact except this ginormous number of, customers that were impacted. It was, yeah. it was very funny.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Was yeah. That, there, we, we we don't okay. think that there was any breach of data. I forget what the exact wording was, but it's like we don't think there's any breach of data except for the 80,000 people whose social security numbers have been breached. Wait. Wait, what? <laughs> 80,000 is a lot is of social security one, numbers, right?
1: Uh so I, this is why this is why I'm glad Nate that I don't work in infosec, and 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 God bless all my nerd friends who do. Oh right. Because this is like my flippin' nightmare scenario. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I'm there. I'm I'm playing a computer game, or I'm I'm at my son with a scout meeting, and I get home, and all of a sudden, the company that I'm responsible for has a breach where like one million social insurance numbers have been stolen. I mean, ah.
0: Yeah, so... That's, that's
1: horrible. The
0: article's from CNN, by the way. Um, but basically, it, it covers the the, the basic breach. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a time in InfoSec when this kind of a breach meant that whoever the CISO was would just get fired, period. Sorry, you have no more job. Um, I don't know if that's the case anymore because the, the industry has morphed a little bit and matured a bit. So now it's less about blame and more about how do we recover. But I'm sure there are still places that just need to blame someone. And want to chop someone's head off when the hundred million customers, uh, loo- get you know, data gets wow. breached. So basically, this yeah, was there's, there's... <laughs> things. Things have been a little like I haven't been able to find a very specific list of what exactly was breached. Um, some things say it was credit card applications. Some things say that it was account data. Some some things say that it was um, like credit limit data and and credit scores and whatnot. Uh, if you think about Capital One and the reach of all of the things that they uh, they run, they do. They're not just credit cards. They have a an actual bank bank where you can have your checking and savings yeah. accounts, of which I'm a customer, and that made me a little worried when I heard about this. But they keep focusing on the credit card branch, so I'm hoping that means that my bank information is not part of this. Um, but they're they're also talking about like um, credit limits and credit scores, right? So. I'd imagine that a credit card company might keep your credit score on file, but Capital One also has a credit monitoring service that uh, you know that'll give you like one of these non big three uh credit scores and like some basic information about your credit report so was that breached too or is it just data that the credit card branch of Capital One had on file you know I don't know um I suppose if yeah. you could look up this git repository for Paige Thompson who is apparently the person who um
1: so who apparently, so this, me, what's that? You should get Jack, you should get Jack on the phone because to me, this could be a great Darknet Diaries once you know the end of the story. But oh, I'm there's sure. There's things that stand out to me. I'm sure he's watching Right? So Thompson, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But he doesn't like to do breaking. He likes to be able to tell the whole story. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to Darknet Diaries, uh, is it episode 62? I forget which episode it is, but go back and, and listen to it you mean 62 uh, of, you of our jack show Austin. yeah of your yeah.
0: show yes yeah a- anyone listening uh if you did not hear the episode where we interviewed jack reciter of darknet diaries it's an interesting chat um even though he was like fighting some deathly illness that <laughs> i hope he's
1: okay yeah he was not but dark Darknet well. Diaries themselves fantastic podcast such I a great, listening to it such a I, great podcast did, yeah. did, did and if you're looking for a if you're looking for a good one to start uh, Zane which is I think the most recent one I haven't heard is that just one yet. an amazing I gotta listen it's like, it's tomorrow. about uh it, it's about malware it's okay. about malware and blackmail mm-hmm. and all sorts of cool stuff and good stuff you don't even have to be a nerd to understand and appreciate it it's that
0: really is the cool thing about Darknet Diaries he tells these stories in such a way that it's a story. I mean, it's like a thing you could tune into uh, daytime television or even like you know primetime order. television gun, gun. and and watch and and get like a decent story out of it and just be generally entertained. It's it's good stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, anyway, this I had a point. You did you did have a point. Okay, I, what's can, your point? Can I,
1: can I give Can I give you my point? Yes, so, you can. So here's something that sticks out to me. Uh, Thompson used to work for Amazon. Yep. It says that right in the article, right? Yep. And apparently Capital One was running whatever other services that were breached on Amazon. Yeah. And she was apparently able to gain access by exploiting a misconfigured web app firewall. Right. So, you know, there she is probably using inside information that she used Could be. from being an Amazon employee to violate, you know, a, a client of her of her emplo- of her employer. That's um, that's pretty heavy, and you know, it it gives it it makes you think a little bit because, um, you know, one of one of the big paranoia things a lot of times is, you know, am I am I actually able to control my data? You know, where is it living? Right. And this, I guess, would be an argument to keep really critical stuff on prem. Yeah, maybe.
0: So, and and again, it's all going to it's all going to depend on what they find out about how she accessed this data. I'm assuming Paige is a she, maybe yeah. I shouldn't make that assumption in today's age.
1: It's a she. This person. It, oh, it, does it? it? Okay. A she a few times. Oh yeah, right there. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um so the the thing so yes, apparently she d- used to work for Amazon, not like at the point at the time of the breach, unless maybe it was at the time of the breach and she was holding on to this data. I don't know about that. That nothing I've read has gone into any clarity as to when the data was breached. Just that it's been breached.
1: Yeah, that's why I need Jack to work on the story. Yeah,
0: right. Um, but so was it a breach while she was there? Or was it a was it coincidence that she used to work for Amazon? Or did she have insider right. knowledge because of the position she held at Amazon that enabled this breach? You know, like these are all very valid points. We, we very, don't know. Like things right. that we want, that we need answers to, to try to figure that out. Because you're right. I mean, think five, six, seven years ago when the cloud was still a very new thing. The big thing everybody was worried about was, is my data safe in the cloud? And there was a very compelling argument to say, no, it probably isn't, because the cloud was very new. And um, over time, as cloud providers figured out, this is a problem if we want people to use our services. We need to go get certified. We need to go make sure that their data is safe, that our employees can't access it and whatnot. From what I understand, Amazon does a pretty good job of protecting your data so that even their own employees can't get access to it. So,
1: if It could have been a misconfigured, you know, Amazon might be in the clear. It might have been something that a Capital One... It could be something
0: very simple. I mean, how many breaches did we see, I don't know, a year or so ago, where it was simply that people made an S3 bucket, they linked it to their web application, right, because their web application needed to use the S3 bucket, and they didn't configure the S3 bucket properly so that it had public permissions and people could just walk in and look at the data, right? So that's, was it something like that? We don't know yet. No one's no one's come out and said that, unless there is more information that I haven't read yet, which is very possible. It's not like I follow well, breaches that closely. She used a... Special
1: command to extract files in a Capital One directory stored on Amazon servers.
0: Special that's, command.
1: That's the claim. A special command. Special a super command. duper powerful secret command.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I will say that reading through this article, um, this woman had the worst um, uh, secrecy possible.
1: <laughs>
0: What's the word I'm looking for?
1: Uh, well, my dad ops, used ops to what? say I that criminals get caught because, by definition, criminals are often kind of dumb. Sometimes,
0: right? right? But I mean, <laughs> um... often. Yeah.
1: Maybe they don't make. The, maybe they don't have the best decision-making processes. Right. So, what? Well, so, so my yeah.
0: My point is, knowing a bunch of people that work in infosec and a bunch of people that are hackers, right? Hackers for hire, hackers like white team or white uh, white hat hackers, blue team or red teamers, that kind of thing. Uh, generally, OPSEC, that's the word I'm looking for, they generally have good operational security, which means uh, when I'm online, I don't share my name, I don't share my location, I don't let people know, you know, like, the things I've done and whatever. That's all secret because, you know, I am a person who is is right on the line of criminal, right? This woman did not. (laughs) She was not good at that.
1: (laughs) No, not at you know, all. I'm reading the article, she posted, she posted the Capital One information on GitHub. Right. Using her first, middle, and last name. So the, not just first, but middle I and heard, last. And then she boasted on social media that she had the information.
0: I heard on the Smashing yeah, Security podcast, right. who covered this article when it first broke, I heard on their podcast that inside of the Git repo, she had her resume. Oh, good. So it's like <laughs> fail. <laughs> it's flat out fail.
1: Fail. <laughs> fail. All right. So anyway, I, yes, I have. I think I have at least one Capital One card. But you know, Samuel L. Jackson should have our back, right? Hopefully, so, I, I trust will be okay.
0: Yeah. So, like I said, With I do my Capital banking one through guy, Capital, Capital right? One. I also have, I think. Through, I mean, I have a Capital One card that's from before I was even married. That's how old it is. And then another one from after I was married. Both of which I'm working on getting rid of. But that's beside the point. Uh, point
1: is, well, my Capital One is the custom one with Yoda on it, so I'm keeping that one. Forever.
0: Oh well, right. You don't wanna, you don't wanna do that. So, or you don't wanna get rid of that. Uh, but this said something like ten years worth of applications. I think. I don't know if this article said it or if it was another one that I read. It was like ten years worth of credit card application data, which could include me. It could. It could. I don't know for sure, right? But it, sounds but it like, could.
1: It sounds like she was going to try to sell the information and she wasn't successful. So maybe. But even it was in it was a, Breached and she had the info. Maybe it never got past the. It was pole. in a Git repository. Who knows who grabbed it?
0: Like, was it a public yeah, Git repo? Right
1: like, how did people Git find it? Nate's credit card info. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know.
0: So, also yeah, included right. in well, the we're show notes. Get Jack on the case. Yeah, also included in the show notes because after this breach. And after so many other breaches that I've heard of that may have affected me, I made the decision to finally go and freeze my credit. And to anyone who doesn't know what freezing your credit does, uh, it basically halts the ability for anyone to take out credit against your name, right? So if I were to go buy a car right now uh, and I wanted to finance it, I would have to call up the credit bureaus that I have frozen my credit with and have it unfrozen, right? Right. So the idea is this helps protect your identity in, in such that people can't take out loans in your name. Um, I've been thinking about doing it for years because it seems like it's not a question of, has my data been breached? It's more like, yes, your data has been breached. Has anyone used it yet? And uh, right. the, the link I've included as sort of a sublink to this one in the show notes uh, tells you how to freeze your credit on all three of the major... Uh, credit bureaus um, and it really wasn't a hard process so I would recommend that anyone who doesn't intend to buy a house or a car or get a credit card anytime soon uh, you should follow that link and read up about how to freeze your credit because I really think it's important nowadays to protect ourselves um, because the the credit bureaus are going to build a credit report on you whether you've opted in or not and anybody who grabs your social security number, and enough information about who you are, could easily take out a loan or a credit card in your name, and you may be on the hook for it, unless you could prove it wasn't you. So, nobody wants that hassle. Mm. Uh, For the little bit of hassle it would take for me to unfreeze my credit before I go make some sort of a financial transaction that requires a credit check, um, I think it's worth it, so... Anyone who doesn't know about the credit freeze, go read up on it. Anyone who doesn't know how to do it, click that link, and it'll tell you how to do it on the, what is it, TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax, which, you know, we all remember that Equifax had their own breach about a year ago. Awesome. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) This is my point, right? Exactly. This is my point. No (laughs) one seems to have our back. Our data is out there, no matter how careful you are with it. Unless you have no credit report, someone probably has your data.
1: So right, it's a question of what they can do with it.
0: Right, what can they do with it? And the more you the do, free- to pre- the more you do to protect it, the better.
1: You know, and freezing it. Honestly, if if you have an impulsive nature, which my wife and I sometimes have, absolutely, uh, freezing freezing your credit might not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it's funny. I was it's just an, it's an automatic cool-down period before you can snatch up that new car or whatever.
0: Just yesterday, I was talking to a coworker about credit cards. And uh, it's because the, the two of us are going to training next week for something. And the check-in at the hotel, uh, we wanted to make sure that our employer had covered the hotel before we get there because neither of us carries a credit card, right? And uh, I was telling him how I'm, I'm on a mission to get rid of credit cards. I don't want credit cards anymore. I just want to get rid of them. Um, he says, yeah, I have them, but it's got a really low limit for the same reason that I want to get rid of them. He doesn't want to be able to bury himself in credit card debt. And he said that uh, he has a friend who has a credit card like an emergency credit card. He puts it in like a soup can full of water and puts it in the freezer. Right. And so when whenever he feels the need to use his credit card, he has to pull the soup can out of the freezer. You can't microwave it because the soup can is metal. Right. So now you have to thaw the credit card out. (laughs) In some way, and that How makes you. How does credit
1: card feel about that?
0: Uh, exactly. So it basically the the point is, it makes you think about your just your your choice to use the credit card, you know, in the time it takes to thaw it out. So freezing your credit is a similar, <laughs> similar.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, but if you're concept. really hungry and you want to just order some wings or something, that's kind of rough. Yeah, no, but I, I, I get it. Well, you know, if you that's have, I mean, if you have a problem with credit, and
0: a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, it is right. a it is a very valid way to try to break yourself of that habit. It's really easy to fall back on a credit yep. card. So anyway, that's enough uh, financial advice from Nate. Trust me, you don't want Nate's financial advice. Nate has done plenty no, wrong. No, you really
1: don't. You really don't <laughs> want mine either. So we're just gonna keep going.
0: We're just gonna move on to uh, Huawei. Is that how you pronounce that?
1: Does anyone know how Huawei, to pronounce that?
0: I, it's that uh, someone needs to. That, I don't. That manufacturer of Android devices that got blacklisted because um, the Trump administration thinks they're selling secrets to the Chinese. Huawei. <laughs> they're uh, they're designing their own uh, rival, or maybe not rival, their own competitor to Android, called Harmony OS. So, you know, that's just what we needed. Uh-huh. More fracturing of the Android market. <laughs> uh, they don't say that it's based on Android. They don't say that it's even... Kind of based on Android. They basically say that it's, um, what's the word they used here? Let me find it here. A uh, microkernel-based that's distributed it. operating system. Microkernel-based distributed operating system. It's future-oriented. Future-oriented, yay. It's
1: uh, designed there's... to be smoother and more secure, and it's, so that makes it completely different from Android and Apple operating systems. Right. Well, that's, that's interesting. They do say it's open source. Right. So is this sucker based on the Linux kernel? I, I mean, guess, probably not, because the Linux kernel is not a microkernel. Well,
0: there what are based on? there are Linux kernel based nah. microkernels, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think so. All right.
0: So anyway, the article is basically it's an announcement. They don't have anything to show for it, at least not in this article. They don't have any like usage or anything. It's more or less we're doing this thing. We're gonna call it Harmony OS. It's gonna be awesome. So will it be a contender to Android and yeah. iOS? I don't know
1: maybe maybe not yeah yeah that's a great question i guess if it yeah i don't know i don't know Ch- china's a funny thing for me right i they're, they're one of those countries that throughout my life has been i mean when i was a kid we you know us and russia are ready to nuke each other yeah right and, and china was never was never really considered friendly so you know, obviously these relationships have changed over the decades, but you know, yeah, our our relationship with with China is obviously pretty complicated. A little. Um, I don't know.
0: <laughs> All these weird tariffs know. and now blacklists on certain companies, and now uh, we've talked about the the blacklist and and Huawei on the show um, a couple episodes back. Um, well, if if I remember correctly, I can tell you. Huawei yeah. did does have a history of embedding spyware in some of their devices. Like it, this All is right. true. It is a thing that happened. There was there were some Android devices. This might be two three years ago at this point. There were some Android devices that actually had embedded spyware, uh, like at the chip level, that you could not erase from your phone. Um, so I I don't know that it's necessarily bad. <laughs> to blacklist a company that does that, <laughs> especially if they're building infrastructure yeah. for what you could call a rival country, right? So China and the U.S., you're right, there is a relationship there. It may be tense, you know, it may not be.
1: It, we're, we're two different players in a Monopoly game, right? Right. right. We're, 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 we're kind of like frenemies here. So, And I can tell you, uh, prior to Red Hat, I worked at Merck and... We were really, really close to opening a research facility in China, and then we decided that wasn't such a great idea based on their record with intellectual property. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, that was a, That was a backpedal. I mean, Tom, it was at Merck. I remember that. What do
0: they call that? Industrial espionage, where you steal another company's secrets. Industrial China? espionage. Yeah, China's
1: good at that, from what I understand. They're very good at it. I mean they, they Yeah, not every not every not every country in the world has the same view of intellectual property. Right. right. So I
0: mean we're we're talking about a country that routinely manufactures cheap knockoffs of everything that comes out of every other country. Hmm. Like that's what they do. I, I hear about it in the tech industry. I hear about it in the automotive industry because as many of our viewers and listeners know, that's another thing that I dabble in with my Jeep and whatnot. Right, I mean, there's um, the the Special Equipment Manufacturers Association SEMA, which is like a big auto show that happens in Vegas once a year. I mean, like the hugest auto show. The hugest like every every time there's huge, huge. Every time there's a new product coming to the automotive industry, it's generally debuted at SEMA because it's like that's where you do that kind of thing. There have been vendors banned from SEMA because they're Chinese vendors that come in and they have an exact replica of something that was American or some other country, you know, made but not in China. Country. Right. And it's like, you've obviously got a, 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 a trademark or, or patent infringement thing here. You can't display this here. <laughs> and it's not Russian companies doing this. It's not, it's not British companies. It's Chinese companies. <laughs> period.
1: Yeah. So. It's anyway. a rough one. Yeah. But if, if I don't, my personal opinion uh, no they're not going to rival Google's Android. Yeah. They might be able to to build up a user base possibly in China. Right. Especially if they have the ability to dictate what their own citizens use. Right. And I guess if you know if they beat Android on price and and it works fine. Yeah. You know. Now maybe. The, the thing but, I
0: am interested in is seeing a bit more competition in the mobile operating system space. Because right now you've basically got two choices and they both have problems. I mean, I'm speaking as a yeah. as a, as a, like a nine or ten year Android user and a recent convert to iOS. Both platforms have problems, <laughs> period. And I don't know that you're ever going to solve all well, of them. You're never going to make a perfect no, one. No, not. But having more competition Remember, in that space talked, would computers be computers are hard. Computers are hard, right? Yeah. And everyone has preference, right? Computers aren't. Like personally, right. I love Android's UI and the usability. The problem I have with it is that I feel like I'm a beta tester. Because Google frequently breaks things on you, and that's not cool. I just need my phone to work properly. So I switch to iOS, and I'm frustrated with the UI and whatnot, and I'm frustrated with the lack of choice that I get on iOS. But at least it works all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you. I, I, when I came over to Red Hat, the day I was hired, <laughs> I, I actually owned a Windows phone. Because my my mother in law had gotten them for us. Well, she was a sweetheart. <laughs> okay. um Hey, you know, I I held off on smartphones for a long time. I had a flip phone for an embarrassingly long time. Yeah. Like, you know, I tell my kids I didn't have a smartphone until I was in my forties. Um, but the day I came to Red Hat, you know, Red Hat, um. You know, offered to they they contribute a certain amount of money to a uh, to a new handset every couple of years. I think I can say that. Well, I just did, so whatever. Whatever. But the perfect. point is, when I started with Red Hat, I'm like, oh, I work for an open source company now. I'm going to get an Android phone. Yay! And I got an LG G4. And it was really nice and everything, but flipping AT and T, uh, the connections to AT and T in rural Nazareth, which isn't even really that rural compared to a lot of the country. I couldn't use my cell phone in my own house yeah. and the Wi-Fi calling on the LG G4 was inconsistent at best. Um, Meanwhile, my wife and kids start getting iPhones and they're like laughing at me like my iPhone works in the house just fine. Yeah, still using AT&T. So that annoyed me. And I I had a discussion with a friend of mine, the same scout leader who um, who owns that tech company He's like, Mark, I know you're a Linux guy and stuff. But some things in your life are an appliance, yep. and in this case, it's appropriate that your phone, you know, air quote, just works. Yep. And I thought about that, and so the next hardware refresh cycle, I picked up a, uh, an iPhone. It was a 6S, and the thing was wonderful. The Wi-Fi calling worked, and just a great phone. And it worked all well and good until my canoe trip this summer. It was in my watertight box in my canoe. Which wasn't so watertight. uh, Well, the watertight box, well, uh, the gasket, the rubber gasket went missing. So rather than being a watertight box, it was just a box.
0: It was more like a bucket.
1: So the phone, (laughs) yeah, the phone took a bath because – the canoe, of course, went over in the first 10 minutes of the trip because we were in rapids trying to help another, another boat that got hung up on a rock. And then so when we broke for lunch, I went to take my phone, out to take some pictures, and I pulled my phone out of, a, of an inch or two of water in the box and it's dripping. I'm like, oh boy. That's,
0: that's not good. Um,
1: <laughs> no, and it never recovered. Now, I, I, have,
0: I have seen iPhones get significantly yeah. wet and survive, but I wouldn't recommend well, it.
1: I have a, I haven't, uh, is it a 10? Is it a 10 or an X? I don't it's even know what X, I'm supposed to call it. I'm, X10. I, <laughs> weren't they that uh, the camera XR. company
0: that, uh, that used to?
1: Well, yeah, I'm going to call it the, the iPhone XR. This thing can supposedly go a meter down for right. a half hour and be okay. Hang on a and second. I have I a kid banging on Scout. my
0: door. Hang on just a moment.
1: Is it Batgirl? Batgirl, save us all. You're the hero we need. We, just, we bring you real life here at the Iron Sis admin.
0: Hey. Uh, yeah. Viewers of our live stream have gotten used to my children interrupting the show, I think, at this point.
1: <laughs> now, which child was that? Uh, it was both of them. Was that bad girl or the mm-hmm. other one? It was oh, both of both them. Both of
0: Yeah. Yeah, a horde, a horde of children just came to my door. A horde of, of two. <laughs> oh, two word. children came to my
1: door. <laughs> I know you're broadcasting. Yeah, right. Anyway, I, need, I need one of those on air signs somewhere. to
0: go on the outside of my door. Right. So anyway, um, yeah, So yes, I I am interested in more uh, more competition in this space. We had um, what did what, what was good. what was Ubuntu's competitor Unity OS or something?
1: Something like that. I forget well, the I mean, name of it There's a gajillion now. Linux distros, right?
0: Well, no, I, I mean, mean, there's
1: literally a gajillion Linux distros.
0: Right, but Ubuntu had a mobile. They were trying to build a mobile operating system based on Ubuntu. Oh. It was I I did thought it was like that. No, Unity was the UI they had. What was
1: it I don't called? don't does anybody like them?
0: I don't know, but it's died. Um, Firefox. Yeah, there was like Firefox it. OS or something. That's gone now, or Mozilla, I should say. Yeah. That's gone. Um, we have Android and iOS, and now Harmony OS.
1: So I will say. I,
0: go ahead, what, say. What
1: I'm gonna say yes. is is I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Google, honestly. Nowadays, yeah. I think they've forgotten their whole "Don't be evil" mantra.
0: Seems that way, and
1: I absolutely, I absolutely positively love Apple's stance on encryption. Yes, how they they will not backdoor encryption into their that, devices. That
0: I mean, Google has made the same stance, but Apple did it a lot more publicly. Mm. So, uh,
1: I, Apple Apple stared down the ju- was it the Justice Department, the FBI, some something where another company might have caved. I give them a lot of credit for that, and people might say, well, if you don't have anything to hide. Why do you care? No, that's not how privacy works. That is not how privacy works. Privacy is absolute. Yeah. Privacy is absolute, baby.
0: Yep. Makes yep. me
1: very happy when I'm sending messages and they got the blue background on on my tax.
0: Yeah, I mean that is that, that is once? that was part of my decision. Does it
1: matter? If it's a conversation with my daughter about her cat. No, because it's my flipping business and no one else. Is.
0: That was that Sorry. was part of what influenced my gone. decision to finally try iOS because. Of all of the publicity Apple got around defying uh, the US government essentially on backdooring their encryption I figure anyone who's willing to take that level of a stand against uh, invasion of my privacy seems to deserve some of my money
1: yeah, even if I agree.
0: even if I do feel like all of their stuff is
1: overpriced) <laughs> I, I guess, but to me, you kind of. I mean, yeah, it can be overpriced. But when, what people are often doing is when they're saying, "Oh, look, this iPhone is seven hundred dollars, and this Android phone is two hundred dollars." They're comparing completely different yes. levels of hardware. Yes.
0: Yes. So I mean, the, so what I what so I, that, I did that
1: ridiculous folding phone you guys keep talking about, for instance. <laughs>
0: what uh, what what was finally the last straw uh, for my Android life uh, was. I had gotten tired of all of my inexpensive Android devices giving me trouble. And I decided, fine, Google sells the Pixel. The Pixel is supposed to be a flagship Android phone. It is designed and built by Google. Google designs and builds Android. This should be the best Android experience I can buy. It
1: should be a tight, coupled, integrated experience, It should be
0: awesome. All the hardware and software should work well together. All of the bugs should be fixed quickly. And then I bought a a Pixel. I the story
1: does not have a happy ending.
0: I I bought the first Pixel, and it was great for about a year. And then they released a software update that completely rewrote the Bluetooth stack. And it stopped working Hmm. with my car stereo. Literally, the only use... Bluetooth on a phone is pretty important. Literally, the only use that I had for Bluetooth on my phone. I don't like Bluetooth headsets. I don't like Bluetooth anything. I use Bluetooth so that I can play podcasts and music in my car. (laughs) That's it. And they broke it. And it took them six months to fix it. I contacted their support, and they're like, huh, that's weird. We're file a bug. Oh, good. (laughs) Thanks. My phone still doesn't work. Thanks, guys. Three updates later, I got a fix that that finally did fix it. And they did fix it, which was great. I was happy again. And then I started having battery problems on my flagship Google designed and built phone. And I said, I'm done. And I bought an iPhone. And I have been relatively happy with the iPhone, other than some frustrations. Anyway, uh, I think we've, we've gone far enough. So um, um, sh- should we argue about so Linux distros 60, or something now? We're
1: minutes into the news. How are we doing? This feels <laughs> fairly typical? Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> uh, we have two more articles to go through, which should not take too long. Uh, we have an article from Engadget about Microsoft's next-gen Xbox will prioritize high frame rates and fast loading, which to me sounds kind of like what gaming is for all <laughs> right uh why why night. wasn't this a focus
1: before <laughs>
0: uh. yeah so uh anyway um microsoft has apparently plans for another xbox that's not that surprising xbox has been pretty uh pretty uh successful so of course they would have another generation they're calling it project scarlet i don't know what they're going to call it when it comes out calling the xbox one the xbox one seemed like a really big fail in naming to to to, to my yeah Uh, it's it's our what third third generation xbox we're gonna call it the xbox one
1: what (laughs) also project scarlet isn't xbox the one with the red ring of death yes that that... sounds like and and i figured that out about five seconds i can't believe no one at microsoft sat back and said red not a really great code name (laughs) the red is a
0: bad a bad color for the xbox
1: (laughs) they were probably thinking scarlett johansson you'd got a lot of black widow fans or something yeah right That's an unfortunate project name. Yeah. Uh, I, I gotta be perfectly Frank. Um, my household owns three switches. My son owns a bunch of legacy consoles. I've owned a PlayStation three. I, I use my PlayStation four almost every day, mostly for video streaming. So i I I'm basically a Sony guy. Yeah. I am impressed with that. Microsoft does do better than Sony is the backwards compatibility that's something that sony has basically yeah. given a finger to for a lot of their 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 users. Yeah, I mean the Whereas the xbox handles that better. Now to be honest, the playstation 3 uh, you know, used the cell processor and the 4 they finally jumped on the, you know, x86 bandwagon. Yeah. So, that was, yeah. you know, different yeah,
0: architecture. Yeah, I I also prefer sony consoles. I I like the the UI better. Uh, I mean, the games are the games, right? The games, generally popular games, are going to be on every platform. It's not going to
1: matter. Most of them are. And I actually really, I'm not a great first-person shooter, so the Sony exclusive stuff, uh, like Little Big Planets, Adorbs. Yeah. uh, Last of Us, fantastic. Yeah.
0: When I bought my PS4, Uh, it came with Last of Us. That was a pretty good game. I didn't get to play through it, but it was a fun game. Um, it's
1: one of those games that I played through a chunk of it and then got distracted because oh something shiny. But, yeah, my yeah, I uh, played, I really enjoy. My
0: kids play a Skylanders game on the PS4. Skylander, where it's... they
1: chop each other's heads off. There can be only one. No,
0: no, that's Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: okay. No, my son had Skylanders. Oh God, talk about nerd rage! That last fight in the first Skylanders game, he could never. He could never beat that. He was like, one fight from the platinum. Oh, he yeah. would get so mad. Oh. <laughs>
0: well, they were they were big Disney Infinity fans because, you know, they're two little girls, right? Nine and five, right? So we're, we're talking like, like the, the era where being able to play a Disney Infinity. princess was very important. When Disney axed Disney Infinity and all of the online components went away and you couldn't buy figures for it anymore, we were all very, very disappointed. Um, so we started buying... Well, they, they picked up Skylanders, just like the TV show, and uh, they liked it so much that we started buying Skylanders stuff, and then they, that got axed as well, I think. I don't think there's... However... Because
1: all, however, all sources of childhood joy must be destroyed. Skylanders, clearly.
0: though, so the big fun, the the, 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 the most fun thing with uh, Infinity was that people could make levels and submit them to Disney's, you know, Infinity... Yes.
1: Service, we, right? We had Disney Infinity on the PS3, and it was pretty fun. Although so, we got it on, on launch day, and it was so bad on launch day because the servers melted. I bet. Oh, I bet. My son learned firsthand the tragedy of launch day. <laughs> That's a valuable
0: <laughs> lesson to learn. Valuable it lesson. It is a
1: valuable lesson. He, 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 it served him well since then. Look, I played World of Warcraft on launch day. with online... Was... Comp- oh, Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I launch day, but Diablo two and Diablo three both were launch day titles for me, and they, they 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 were pretty terrible at that yeah, point. Yeah, that they were. Oh, who but, am I kidding? Uh, no Man's Sky, the most recent No Man's Sky update, the online component was crashing like a drunken fool last night. Although that got patched.
0: Yeah, but yeah, no the No Man's the, Sky the, and virtual uh, reality, by the way, the online killer. component of Infinity was very important to making that game work properly or making it entertaining, right? You're not right? And now it's gone. Flat out gone. You can't do it anymore. My, my kids are like, "Why can't I go play that level I used to love?" Well, it was online and it's gone. And they don't, they don't quite get that yet. The, the nine-year-old kind of gets it, but like no. they don't understand that there's a server somewhere that someone had to pay for that is now gone. <laughs> All that data is gone. And, where Skylanders doesn't have that drone. Yeah,
1: that's where you got Richard Stallman saying, "There, told you so."
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's it's funny in the back of so. my head. When we got Infinity and we started playing online games, I'm like, these are going to go away someday, and my kids are going to be disappointed. Hopefully, they will have lost interest in Infinity before it happens, but
1: not so. Yeah. You were hoping it would be a little longer.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, we we probably got three, four years out of Infinity. At least my older daughter did, but whatever. Okay, we've talked about children's video games long enough, I think. Yes, there's a new Xbox, and it's going to focus on, like, frame rates. Imagine that.
1: Which is good for video game systems. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> My Xbox buddies will probably love it. I won't buy it, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, in the and last we got a,
0: the last of our news articles vulnerability is... Vulnerability in Windows. Yet oh. another vulnerability in Windows. And with the two of us on this show, I mean, we can really bash Windows, right?
1: <laughs> so, you know, true... It would only be better right if Jason had that- made it. Yeah, my gaming rig. It runs Windows 10 because, quite frankly, I poured a lot of money into it. It's killer, and Linux just can't quite do all the games I want to do. I agree. And especially with the with the VR stuff. Yeah. So Windows for me is a game launcher. Um, yeah. This, the, yeah, this the, machine and my son's machine are the only Windows machines in the house.
0: The, uh, the, the laptop that I am doing this podcast on, as I try to precariously pour a beer without hitting my microphone... Dual Boots, yeah, Windows... No alcohol
1: abuse. Yeah.
0: Dual Boots, Windows, and uh, Fedora. And Fedora is what mm-hmm. I do all of my real work on. And uh, mm-hmm. Windows is what I game on. And run Quicken.
1: As and intended.
0: Yes, as Stallman yeah, intended. Quicken. So, yes, I I, I I keep track of my checkbook and uh, game on Windows. <laughs>
1: Actually, I don't know if Fedora is pure enough for Richard. I somehow don't think. Probably not.
0: There is there is some software in Fedora that I don't think he would approve of,
1: like MP3. But we need we need Richard Stallman (laughs) to pull the rest of us to a good place. Yeah, you are correct. All right. So anyway, so if you're running Windows, all right, we're talking about a vulnerability in Windows vulnerabilities, right? Those are bad. Remote execution vulnerabilities are particularly nasty.
0: It's also, according to the article, wormable. Which um, I don't know mm. what what denotes wormable. Um, I guess if I were a security researcher, I would get that. But uh, supposedly, this would be easy to turn into a worm. Which, um, Mark, you probably remember the old days of things like Nimda and Code Red <laughs> and Sasser. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when everyone who connected a Windows machine to the Internet was infected in seconds, right? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, worms on Windows bring back very, very bad memories for me. They probably do for you as well, I would hope.
1: And I got a Pink Floyd track playing in my head right now, but yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> One of the, the track from the wall, right? talking wor- about the worms. I don't remember. Oh, where like, the worms, worms it in into his brain? Waiting for the. Wo- oh God! Yeah. I'm gonna start singing. Let's not. That's not gonna happen. All yeah. right. Give me just a second. Again, there's someone knocking at the door. So, I think the uh, take-home lesson here, Batgirl. I think the take-home lesson. I don't know if it's Batgirl. The take-home lesson here is, as always, if you are not patching Windows, then you're silly. If you are patching Windows, then 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 keep doing it.
0: And Two interruptions notice, when in one you
1: show. Yeah, two interruptions. Patch Windows if you run it. So yeah I actually uh I mean we I said I had it, an update the other day and then I had a I had to patch again today.
0: We said it on the last show, I think it was the last show when Mog was on talking about Derby Mud. Uh, in fact he predicted that right after DEF CON there would be another release of a of a worm for Windows based on Blue Keep. I don't huh. know if this is based on Blue Keep, but they mentioned Blue they Keep got in the all article. Up,
1: the DEF CON people. Well it's
0: DEF CON. This is how DEF CON goes. People go to DEF CON they learn about new vulnerabilities they turn them into nasty things and then we all have to patch our stuff so welcome to so, the week so you after go to red Con. hat
1: summit you go to red hat summit and you learn about like cool new technologies and you go home and then you like you stand up an open shift instance to play with that cuz it's yes. new and cool or you yes. know, if working some ansible you go to defcon you come home and you write a worm to screw over all your windows bodies actually am i getting that right
0: i mean my my or, experience with
1: people you don't like
0: my i i've never been to defcon but i've been to derbycon and generally when i come home from derbycon i am two things one i am energized because i've connected mm-hmm. with a bunch of people in the infosec industry which is an industry that i've always enjoyed And two, I feel like I need to bury all of my electronics in the backyard.
1: You need to what to your electronics?
0: Bury all of my electronics in the backyard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I'd imagine coming home from DEF CON would have a similar effect on me. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I guess if you have tendencies to write cool worm software, that would get you all riled up. Yeah, well, I mean, I've
0: I've, I've never been the sort of person that would be able to write a, a... malicious piece of code in my life unless it was on accident. <laughs> so anyway, I've had
1: accidentally malicious code.
0: So so patch your Windows servers, don't open RDP to the world. Seriously, that's just bad idea. I mean, it's
1: good practice anyway, right?
0: <laughs> just don't don't do that. Don't open SSH to the world, don't open RDP to the world. It's just no. bad practice.
1: And if you're good and if you're gonna expose SSH to the world, my god, use keys. Don't use passwords. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh. Well, I think two episodes ago we did a At whole a whole thing based on my my SSH lockdown article, um, and we talked about that. So yes, don't do that stuff. At the very least, use keys. At the very least, yeah. use keys, and and find a way to incorporate um, shock collars into your failed login script. Yes. <laughs> So that about covers the news after only almost an hour Yay, of show. The
1: news.
0: Yay! I'm going to play this transition thing that we always do, and then we're going to get into good. just, you know, more mindless banter. So here we go more nerd stuff. All right. That was the news. That was not not quite record length. I think we've covered the news in much longer than that. Also much shorter. Well, Just pretty much par lot, for the course. So. Pretty
1: much par for the course.
0: We did okay. go off on a couple of rabbit trails, though. Which is I about...
1: warned you before you had me that that was going to happen.
0: Oh, it was... I mean, if, if Jason was here, it would have been worse. <laughs> yeah. By the way, right. folks, Jason couldn't make it because of a family commitment. Um, Charles isn't feeling well, and Dustin still has a baby, so... Although I think that excuse is going to expire soon. That baby's got to be almost a year.
1: Ah, sometimes it takes, you know, 17 or 18 years and it's not an excuse anymore. But yeah, <laughs> hopefully before then. Yeah. I I've got some child processes myself, so I get it.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, um <clears throat> I don't have a whole lot for announcements. Um, if Jason were here, he would give us the dates for B sides Delaware because they're finally set. I want to say they're November eighth and ninth. If that's a Friday and Saturday, I that's got to be right.
1: I think that's what he said last night at DEFCON. Yeah, that sounds that sounds familiar. I don't have definitely November.
0: I don't have a November calendar in front of me. I think I'm going to be in Florida when that happens, so maybe I won't make. Ooh. Yes, eighth and ninth. What are do you doing right. in Florida? We're going to Disney oh Maybe I went the to Disney, only
1: not not this last January, the January before, it was spectacular. It may
0: be the only time I ever go to Disney in my life. It's it's one of these cases where like my mom retired this past year, mm-hmm. and she decided we should all go to Disney together as a family. And I said that's way too expensive for my blood. And like two weeks later, she came back and said, "What if I pay for everything except your travel expenses?" I'm like, okay, I think I can swing that. So we're gonna drive to Florida. I think so. <laughs> She's paying for everything else. Are you
1: staying on? Eh, are you staying on property?
0: I think so. I what don't know. I haven't really talked about where we're uh-huh. staying, but
1: that'll be. Well, because so if you do that, if you do that, if you stay on one of the resorts, you can take the the magic bus to the different parks every day. Oh, that'll be
0: cool. I mean, we will have a vehicle that's, there, but it won't be a vehicle big crazy. enough for all the people that are going to be there. It'll be big enough uh, for my family and one more person, because we don't own a boss. bus.
1: <laughs> and if. Uh, so. Disney's fun, though, but we don't have time to go into that. Yeah, right. Later. Right.
0: Later. Especially on an IT podcast. Um, DerbyCon's no, dates. Not really. Um, anyone who doesn't know already, they're September 6th through the 8th for the normal conference. I think training is the two days prior to that. But if you didn't know that, it means you don't have a ticket. And if you don't have a ticket, you're not going because they're all sold out. They Ooh. sold out in
1: seconds. So I can't go to DerbyCon if I want to?
0: You really, I mean, you could if you really wanted to, but you wouldn't have a ticket. You'd have to sit in the lobby and. Yeah watch everyone else have fun that would be,
1: which yes, i i actually think i'm busy that weekend it,
0: anyway it actually i mean for derbycon for derbycon that is a valid way to visit derbycon like you can certainly just go hang out in the lobby and just chat with people and you would get something think, out of that
1: conference i think i'll listen to the iron sys admin the week after derbycon
0: you so could do I that could. and get it like a high level thing although i'll probably be talking about the hacker derby contest and um, people that i caught up with and whatever um, I like DerbyCon. I don't usually go to a lot of talks. I go to a handful of talks, but it's mostly about networking mm-hmm. and talking to people that I haven't seen since last DerbyCon and learning more about, about DerbyCon, right. that industry and whatnot. But it's it's a good conference for that. So. All right. Yeah. So DerbyCon coming up in September. If you don't have a ticket, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the only other announcement we've got. I'm. I'm I don't want to sound like we're begging, but I figured I'm going to start putting an update for Patreon into our our announcement section. Um, just because I've heard other podcasts do it, and it seems to work for other podcasts. Um, we've said before, folks, if you want to support the podcast monetarily, it is very welcome, because there are some expenses to running this show. Um, currently, we make $18 a month. That's after... Patreon takes whatever cut they take out of what people are giving to the show, uh, and that is not even enough to cover the Libsyn subscription that I have, which is twenty bucks a month, plus I think there's tax in there, so it's a little over twenty bucks a month. Um, so literally just to host the show, I'm not making enough money to cover that. But that's okay. Like I'm I'm okay doing that. But it would be great, like really great, if there were more. I really don't want to do sponsors because I've never really been a fan of sponsors on shows because I feel like that affects the opinions on the shows and we've always liked to to keep this show free of all that. Um, But if I have to, I don't want to use it as a threat, but if I have to, to make money on the show just to cover the expenses of the show and my own time and the time I'm away from my family who keeps interrupting the show... (laughs) We, 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 really may, from the- we may start to look into that. Um, but if we can do it through Patreon, I would much prefer that. So um, yeah, we could also turn Patreon into something where you'll get some kind of benefit out of, out of giving money to the show. But again, I like giving the content out the way we do, which means you don't have to pay for anything. I don't want you to have to pay for anything. I don't want you to feel like you have to pay for anything. But I'd also like to cover the the expenses of the show. So just food for thought. We have three patrons. Two of them are (laughs) co-hosts. Comes out to $18 a month. So again, I'm not going to harp on it too much. But if you want to support the show, that's an awesome way to do it. If you can't afford to, don't feel like you have to. Just share uh, the show and that would be awesome. And anyone who's listening who feels like they can't afford it, please do. And that's it. I'm going to stop talking about money now. But I'm going to start covering that in each show. So you're going to hear about it every week, every two weeks. And then we'll move on to the next thing we're not getting, which is reviews. So, folks, go and give us reviews. It's how we know that you like or don't like the show and what you like and what you don't like. Uh, If you don't like something about the show and you don't tell us, we can't change it. Or we probably won't change it because we're just going to keep going the way we are. So... That so where, is, where
1: can I give you a review as a, as a listener? You can like do so, but I don't know where to do that.
0: So you can do so via Apple Podcasts. We're also listed on Stitcher. You can leave reviews there. Uh, you can also go to our YouTube channel and you can leave comments on the videos that could be specific to a a particular episode or just commentary in general about how we do and don't do the show. So that's that's all very valuable. If you don't want to do any of that publicly, you can send us an email. Uh, podcast at ironsystemin.com or you can hit us up on Twitter if you follow us you can I believe send us a DM and then that would also not be in the public eye if you don't want to share it publicly
1: the Twitter
0: so all good stuff all right. right so I think that's all the housekeeping stuff we have for, th- for today we took an hour on the news I don't know if we're going to banter too much about chat you have any really cool projects you're, you're working on Mark Anything you want to share oh, with share with the Iron Sisyphean cool listeners?
1: Uh, so yeah, I'm actually uh, I'm involved a lot with um, with certain uh, aspects of the Red Hat technology, and one of the things I've been getting into is performance over the past several years. You know, performance tuning, things like that. And I seem to have accidentally become a, a C Groups guru inside of Red Hat. So, with RHEL 8, uh, our new version of, of, of RHEL, they're actually, that's the first kernel that uses the new C Groups version 2, which is a rewrite of that system. And hopefully, not everybody's eyes are glazing over. But I've, I've written a TAM blog series uh, published at redhat.com. And now I, I did one part on Rel8 already, and I've got a second half of that. Well, it might even be a second, third. I don't know. I, I tend to babble and, and keep going episode after episode of, of blogs. But that, that's, my current, uh, that's my current public work that I share as part cool. of Red Hat.
0: Cool. So if you want to – Learning
1: about C about groups if you want
0: to put a link to wherever people can start reading about that, and I know you recently did a webinar, uh, <clears throat> which was recorded, and I don't know if that's publicly released or not, the Red Hat webinar you uh, did just a couple days ago.
1: Yeah, that's more of a Red Hat customer thing, so okay. I don't think I can give that out. Um, I might be able if to. If you're a Red Hat customer, <laughs> you'll be able to find it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, I, I,
1: I feel like I pushed my luck, already tonight a little bit so we're not going to start earning that out all right but what i can do is i'm going to give you uh i'm going to drop the uh this this tag that i'm dropping in uh in the document this finds all the blogs i've written most of them are about C groups. and there's one that i wrote about a day in the life of a technical account manager if you've ever wondered what working at red hat is like jobs.redhat.com anyway so yeah
0: (laughs) Looking for more workers. Is, is, is IBM looking for Where more are people? We're always hiring.
1: <laughs> I don't know what IBM's doing, but Red Hat is. All
0: right. Right. So um, I've read some of these articles, and they are pretty good, and I watched the webinar. And I have to say, um, and you got some of this feedback from the accelerators group, um, I think that of, of most webinars that I've watched from many companies, not just Red Hat, uh, you demonstrated a lot Of technical knowledge on the subject Uh, and you fielded all of the questions at the end no matter how spiny they appeared to be uh, with knowledge instead of FUD uh, which is good so I I think you did a good job and um, if we can share if we can share that webinar I think we should Um, so I don't know I know I have a link to it but that's because I registered for the webinar I don't want to get you in trouble by sharing it though
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, you can't get me in trouble by sharing it. And I guess that's to, a good point. To view it, people would need to register, which means that you know they would then be—you might get a call from a Red Hat sales guy, you know, because right. You know, one of the reasons we do these webinars is to is to is to find opportunities. But I'm not going to tell you what to do with the information that was given to you. Right?
0: Indeed, so. indeed, I already forwarded it to one person I thought would find it useful. So you know, whatever. If someone uh, sends me an email, what I do with it is up to me.
1: <laughs> That's you're absolutely correct Mr. Nain you're absolutely correct
0: so uh, speaking of things right. that have been written down um, as Mark knows and as Accelerators if any of you are watching know I've been submitting a bunch of content to Red Hats Enable Abel Sysadmin uh, some of our listeners know that already because I've talked about it on literally the last three shows uh, because I keep submitting stuff and they keep publishing it for some reason right <laughs> People keep telling me That's it's good. I don't know. I, f- I feel like I, I don't... It is good. <laughs> I it's never nerdy really, but readable. I never really fancied myself a writer, but maybe I've found a new calling. I don't know. Uh, but I recently published You're, one yeah. on uh, things that I do to try to keep my sanity, which is a, a thing that I have talked about on this show um, really early on. Me and Jason, when we when we started the show, we, we did a series on things like how to prevent burnout, and how to keep yourself sort of sane as an IT worker or a sysadmin. And part of that was to get the hell away from the keyboard and go outside and do something. Or just at least get away from your computer and do something. Or hell, just sit down and play a video game that doesn't require you to be a sysadmin 24-7. So anyway, I wrote an article about that. I will get the link and put it in the show notes. Uh, It's called Geeking Outside the Office, and it's, it's an article about how I relate being a sysadmin to other things like my Jeep hobbies and even how I just get away from technology by going out in the middle of winter with a, with a rifle and standing in the woods, which you could call hunting, except great, huh? I'm not all that yeah. successful at hunting, so it's really more like standing in the woods with a gun.
1: <laughs> a little bit of bird watching? Yeah, really. I thought it was a great article, and and it resonated a lot with me. And oh my god, I guess we'll talk about the main topic eventually, but... That's one of the reasons I do scouting, right? Yeah. My, my son, who's my youngest, he's 16. He's so close to Eagle. Oh, my God, we got to push him a little more. And my youngest daughter, who's 20, she's in Venturing, which for those of you who don't speak scout, uh, Venturing's the co-ed uh, program for 14 to 21-year-olds that focuses on high adventure. Oh. And so, so Abby and I have gone on a, a, a multi-day, as in like five or six days, Canoe trip most of the past five or six summers. Uh, like I said, when the IBM deal closed, I was up on the allagash River in Maine. Yeah, because uh, we were on a trip there. And yeah, that that getting away, not not being anywhere where you've got TCP/IP, is just totally amazing to me. It, it it really it really that type of break I think can be so necessary. Yeah, and- even it, But again, it does. You don't have to go away five days in the woods. You can. Just take fifteen minutes and take a walk around the block, yes, this industry is brutal sometimes
0: and and when you take that walk, leave your phone on your desk,
1: oh God, yeah,
0: like, please don't oh. don't be out taking your walk playing Pokemon Go and checking emails, just like put it down right no, get away the from the computer, get away from the internet, go for a walk, and enjoy this thing we call
1: reality. <laughs> yeah, it's okay for this to be in a different room of your house at night, yeah, it really is,
0: yeah. Yeah, and I I admit that I have a problem with that. I keep this thing, it is in my pocket all the time. It's on my bedstand while I sleep. It's in my pocket every waking hour. I almost never am apart from it. However, um, if I'm like sitting down to watch a movie with the wife, I will certainly take it out of my pocket and put it on the coffee table where I can't just reach it and check it. You know, so if work calls me or if like it starts to explode, I can see what's going on, but it's not, you know... Because, obviously, I have, yeah. I have responsibilities to the day job that uh, if I don't respond to, like, oh, my God, the network's all down, <laughs> that could be a problem. So, yeah. But as – Unfortunately. A, yeah. Anybody who works in IT is – or not necessarily anyone who works in IT, but anyone who's in, a, in, in an operations role may have that same problem where they literally cannot be separated from their phone because they're expected to respond to emergencies. And that's not just IT, that's like, you know, doctors, emergency services folks, you know, like, except the thing that we do daily, the thing that we do as a day job, is also the thing that is currently popular for uh, recreation, right? The internet, surfing Facebook, looking around, you know, at articles online and whatever, right? So it's hard to get away. It is. It is. So... I won't talk too deeply on that. Maybe we'll maybe we'll cover that in a whole separate show. But I have some opinions on how I right. think my own hobbies actually help me in my role as a systems administrator, um, because they help with problem solving, right? But that can be a topic for a whole, whole other show. I think it's show worthy. Yeah, definitely.
1: Throw, throw, throw a kick can down the road a little, yeah. little bit.
0: Yeah. So that is not the topic for tonight, and I think we're about to move no. into that. So I'm going to play that transition music Yay. again.
1: Oh, more music. Get ready to rock. Yeah.
0: So an hour and 14 minutes in, and we're just hitting the main topic. That's not so bad. We've done worse. We have a time cap? Not really. I okay, I, good. I had this like crazy idea when we started the show that we would make it an hour. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> You've met you, right? I don't think we've ever hit an hour. I (laughs) don't
0: think we've ever hit it. It's it's always been over. Always, every single time. So, the main topic for tonight, (laughs) and I, so, uh, full disclosure, we had planned a show where we were going to have all the folks who run the Red Hat Accelerators on tonight. Um, I'm not going to go into details as to why, but that changed Monday.
1: Down The road a bit. We will, have, canceled,
0: we, we will have another show in maybe a month or so uh, where we have the show I just described, where we're going to talk about what the Red Hat accelerators are. We're going to have uh, more than just Mark on. Mark is one of the folks who I'll helps lead the accelerators, and that's why he's on tonight because we had planned this literally for like two months at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it all fell apart on Monday because of, well, basically because of a staffing change. But we won't go into that tonight. Um, so we were just going to have a show where we talked to Mark and about some of the cool things that he's done, whether it's been the C groups thing or just other things he thought was fun or cool or whatever. And then I had this, this crazy idea and this goes back to, crazy. this, this goes back to a keynote at DerbyCon last year where there was a panel with, uh, and Mark, I don't know if you're going to know any of these names. Uh, John Strand, I think was on the panel. Nope. Ed Scotus was on the panel. And
1: I feel like I should know.
0: Well, you can look these people up. They're great people. You would get along with them well. And, um, okay, good. Leslie Carhart, Hacks for Pancakes on Twitter. Um, they were all on this panel. There might have been somebody who was, was it just the three of them? It was the three of them. And I think it was John Strand brought up this concept of wizards in the infosec industry, where there's like these folks who appear to be larger than life, like they're the guys. On their game, they're the ones releasing the exploits. They're the people that come up with these blue, these worm, wormable blue, te- or blue keep, uh, vulnerabilities, and they release them to the public and say, "Oh my God, you should patch your stuff." Um, the people like, like, um, what's his name? I hate when I try to come up with someone's name and I draw a blank. Um, the guy who was imprisoned in the the 90s because they thought he could whistle tones into a phone to launch missiles. Captain Crunch. No, Mitnick, Kevin Mitnick, because he was earlier. Remember, remember, free Kevin, free Kevin, the whole movement about you know Kevin Mitnick being supposedly um, wrongfully imprisoned. Anyway, like people like Willie was
1: about the well, right? (laughs) Uh,
0: So people like like Kevin Mitnick, uh, Dave Kennedy who leads Trusted Sec and also runs DerbyCon, people like John John Strand himself, like they're very smart people at the head of their game. Uh, at the head of that industry, and there's this there could be an impression where they feel where you might feel like they're unapproachable, right? And or those folks don't do that well, Kevin Mitnick might do that, but um, uh, but like people like Dave Kennedy and John Strand are very approachable folks, and they are very happy to share their knowledge. And uh, but there are people in the industry. In the infosec industry, that are very like standoffish. Like, this is the stuff that I have figured out, and I can't tell you because if I tell you, it's a threat to my own career. Um, right. That talk really resonated with me because when I was a young um, IT worker, just punk? doing like like tech oh, support. IT work. Yeah, right. <laughs> young I punk. Thought you might be going for punk. Well, I could have been a punk. You I feel suppose. lucky, punk. But, um, yeah. When I was early in my career, I was working tech support basically help desk for an ISP. And it was my dream. I mean, since the beginning of my career, my dream was to get into systems work. Um, It's part of why I am where I am today. It's part of why I do this show. And at the company that I was at, and it's a shame Jason's not here because he was at the same company. We've talked about this place in the past. There was a really toxic culture there where the folks that were higher up on the food chain really looked down on the people that were lower on the food chain. And it was really hard to get anywhere in that company. And so Mm. this is kind of how I came up with the topic for tonight, which I'm calling wizards and peons, right? So the wizards are the folks that are at the top of their game, top of the industry, the folks with all the information, and the peons are the folks like I was then, working tech support, chained to a desk with a headset on, um, that couldn't get anywhere because the folks at the top didn't really... Like, unless you impressed someone, you weren't getting anywhere. Right. And uh, so it really comes down to something more like mentorship. If you want to get into a a term that's less Dungeons and Dragons and more actual (laughs) IT. We're nerds. We are nerds. Wizards
1: and peons, I think, is excellent.
0: Wizards and peons works.
1: So, yeah.
0: So So, I'm going
1: to try and be real deep and philosophical. Go right ahead. okay. okay. so. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge and say that depending upon what aspect of your life you're talking about, we are all wizards and peons at the same time. Right? That's deep. We all have things we're good at <laughs> and we all have things that we're not so good at possibly yet. Right. right. Um but yeah, the idea that the the idea that because i've learned more than you somehow makes me a better person i think that's where some of the toxic behaviors come in that we sometimes see in the industry right because we judge people not on on the value of their character or whether they're an honest person or or even just you know a, a nice person we judge their their worth based upon what they know
0: or what they've done
1: and yeah or what they've done. Right. And, and truly that stuff might be awesome. Some people have done really cool things. Like if Linus hadn't written the Linux kernel, you know, you and I would have taken completely different paths through life. Right. Absolutely. So that, so, so that, that's like really cool. But I think, I I think when you're talking about wizards and peons, it really is on the wizard. And, and, and honestly, this is, this is cool because I can hashtag life at Red Hat at the moment. It's really on the wizards to, to, to be good people, to do the right thing, um, and, and help build a culture where you bring other people up. Um, I don't, you know, when I got to Red Hat, I, I, started my it career a long time ago right but you know as far as linux goes i started messing around with linux back in 98 when i was doing desk side support at Merck. so that was helping uh the scientists at our rawway facility in new jersey when their windows machines would stop working properly or they had trouble with exchange or if their lab machines stopped working and there was a mix of mac and pc and there were even a couple os2 warp machines right Ugh. But yeah, but it was a job that, you know, there was there was burst of work and then there were quiet periods. And during one of those quiet periods, I stumbled across an article on Slashdot about the Halloween, uh, the Halloween papers or Halloween, whatever the the, the term was. But it was essentially a, a screed, I think, from Microsoft about how Linux sucked. Or it was it was some sort. I gotta look into it because I don't even remember. This was a long time ago. Well, what
0: did, what was it? Was it Ballmer called Linux a cancer?
1: Yeah, this might have been before he did that. Yeah. Um, but it was basically it basically was the first time I I had read something about Linux and and started to realize wow this is kind of a nifty looking thing. So I ended up I ended up playing with it, throwing it on a work laptop. Uh, ironically, it was Red Hat Inter- Red Hat Linux Five, not Enterprise Linux. Red Hat Linux Five. Ironically, that's where I that started working too. working on a ThinkPad Six Hundred was crazy. Yeah, but I actually got decent enough with it that I was able to snag a job as a Linux administrator in our corporate office. And there were multiple people there that really took me under their wing and helped me learn this stuff and become good at it. Um, my team lead was a gentleman called Rennie, who I had worked with in Rawway at one point, point. Uh, and, and he really kind of cheerleaded to help me get the Linux position because he knew me already and, and realized that even though I might not have a Linux background, I was enough of a nerd, I could probably do really well. And there was another gentleman who, once I was on board, a gentleman named Steve, who was just this complete friggin' Linux genius as far as I was concerned. And he was one of those guys who would just freely share. He'd freely share the knowledge and, and just show you how to do stuff. And I've been very fortunate that, you know, I had I had people like that who did not hoard that knowledge and try and be the only guy with the answer, but they both, you know, freely shared their knowledge, their experiences which let me become a better admin where, you know, 10 years later, I'm one of the two big fish in the Linux pond left, you know, Renny and Steve had left the company by then. And we had gone through a bunch of people and suddenly, you know, I'm one of the senior Linux guys, another friend of mine, Dan, who was also now at Red Hat, by the way, is one of the senior (laughs) Linux guys. And, you know, that wouldn't have been possible without, without, you know, people who were wizards helping to grow Mark the Peon. Yeah, in, and
0: that's, into Linux. that's actually, I mean, so your early, your early experience in the industry is the complete opposite of mine, right? So um, when I was working that job in tech support, all I wanted to do was get into the systems group at that place, right? And yeah. not only was I having trouble trying to move into that position because nobody would give me a chance to show them that I knew what I was doing, Um, you couldn't approach the folks that were in the systems team and just chat with them, like, to get an idea as to what it is that I would need to know to be in that group or or Ah. just pretty much anything, right? They were very, very quiet about it, very hush-hush. I don't know if they thought they were protecting their own jobs or if they thought that they were protecting the company by not sharing that information, you know, with some lowly guy in tech support. Um, but yeah, it was very, and I see this in a lot of other people as well, where, you know, they figure out something complicated and that gives them a certain sense of power. Right. I figured this thing out. Not everyone has figured this out. I know it. It means people need to come to me for that information. Right. And they just sort of protect that. They don't want to show you how to do it. And I mean, I even may be guilty of this early on in my career where it's like, you have that feeling that you you've accomplished something and maybe it took you a lot of effort to get there and then just sharing it with someone else almost feels like uh, cheating. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But on the other side uh, sh- on the other side sharing it sharing it helps other people move beyond the struggle that you had to get to where you are and maybe they'll figure out the next revelation and share it with you and then both of you move up
1: right and and so that and you've hit something there right so so red hat um i, I i'm not ashamed to say so back on my shelf back there you see my, my fedora right in that one cube um on that same shelf is my offer letter from red hat um, I I had a buddy who used to work at Merck with me. He called me and said, hey, Red Hat's looking for somebody. And at that point, Merck was really sliding into, into into some places I didn't want to be anymore. So I started the Red Hat interview process, and it went dark for a few months. And then all of a sudden, they called me back in the spring of 2015. And then things moved really quickly. So I gave my resignation from Merck on May 4th, 2015. Happy Star Wars Day. Yes, I did that on purpose. (laughs) Hold on, I gotta wait three days. I'm gonna be (laughs) Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. When I got that offer letter, because it first comes electronically, I cried. I couldn't believe Red Hat wanted to hire me. Because to me that was like, oh my God, that that's like every Linux nerd that I knew of, that was like one of their dreams is to work for Red Hat because just the amount of, 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 of respect in the Linux community the company, you know, had.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can completely um, understand how that must have been a, a
1: great day for you. It was huge. 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 So, um, <laughs> huge. So I get to Red Hat, and what I found, you know what the longest, you know what took me the longest to, to, to realize, Nate? I had spent so much time in prior jobs, staring over my shoulder so I could dodge the knife that was going to be shoved into my back. Right. It took me a good six months at Red Hat to realize there isn't a knife. It, there's none of that. There, now, Red Hat, don't get me wrong. It's, not everybody here is perfect. You know, There's no such thing as a perfect human, but I've never been in a culture where people are so unwilling to say no. Like if you have a problem or a challenge or something and you go to somebody, a flat no is so so rare. It's more like, well, I don't know, but I know a guy who can help. Or I'm not sure, but hey, I've got some contacts and, and let's let's try and make this work. So so the so so there's so many people here who have been willing to to just help new people along in their careers. And I've had multiple mentors fantastic people who I absolutely admire. Um, And one of the things most of them have in common is they just, they don't hang on to stuff. They share. They, they, they share their, they share the work they've done. I mean, everything at Red Hat's open source. So there's, there's your programming. There's your nerd stuff right there. Yeah. Right. We share internally all the presentations we make. If somebody takes my C groups presentation and repurposes it, puts their own spin on it and gives it I'm not mad I'm happy it's open as far as I'm concerned everything I work on at Red Hat's open source and please use it to make a better experience for you or your customers
0: yeah I mean and this is this it, is it's just amazing this is part of why I started this podcast and it's it's part of why I write things for my own blog and it's part of why I started contributing things to enable sysadmin um I don't claim to know everything none of us. Should be able to claim that. I don't think there's anybody, you know, out there. There are days
1: where I feel very much like Jon Snow. I know nothing. <laughs>
0: um, but the things that I do know, and the things that I worked to figure out, I mean, I want to share that. Like to me, that sense of power that you may get, you may get from hoarding that information and making people come to you for it. Uh, the 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 sense of I don't want to say power power is the wrong word but um when i give something back to the community and then i find out that it helped somebody that to me is so much better than making them come to me to get it you know what i mean yeah and i agree I, i i don't feel like that's like there's enough of that in it that i think it's it's kind of toxic kind of poisonous to the, to the industry. There's enough of that like, I have to protect my job or I have to protect my role in the company, um, so it's mine and you can't... Uh, I'm going to give you only what you need to make the thing you've asked me about work. Um, there's too much of that, I think. Yeah.
1: And maybe I other think, people... I think you're right. There's too much.
0: Maybe other people have had different experiences. Maybe I just worked for a really bad employer. I don't know. but. <laughs> so... Um, I, I made a couple of bullet points here. One of them is basically, I mean, we kind of covered all of them at this point. Um, I I one of the points is, you know, how does this affect the industry? Um, and I, I think we've kind of already touched on that. Do, do you have any do you have any insights on how you think, like not sharing your information, not not sharing the 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 things that you've learned affects the industry? Maybe outside of Red Hat, because it sounds like Red Hat has a pretty good culture of uh, of sharing um i don't know maybe through your experiences at Merck or through any other previous employer
1: right and and i don't mean to make it like red hat's great and Merck sucked i had a wonderful i was at Merck for 14 years and 13 and a half of them were wonderful right, right? um there were some changes that happened that kind of soured me plus red hat wanted to hire me so yeah, yeah i right. wasn't going to be sticking around after that sounds like a good time um I think I mean there's a couple of things, right? And I feel like I'm babbling a little bit right now. But we gotta well, I, remember, especially those of us who, who make who, who make our money who who are fortunate to, to make our money based on open source technology that all this stuff was ultimately given away for free. Right? Uh it was, it was either a hobby, or if it wasn't a hobby, it was a tool that somebody needed. But they they're like, you know what? The work I did, I'm going to give this away so that other people can benefit. Uh, so if, if our best and our brightest who are creating things like the Linux kernel and all the other tools we use feel that giving the stuff away is ultimately the right thing to do, then then who am I – argue that right and and you know people deserve to make money stallman himself we brought up richard stallman already right richard stallman would not say that you should work for free right uh yeah open source software is free but i make my money working with free software because people value my services and they value my company services so so there's nothing wrong with that right but the actual intellectual property, the bits and the code and the and the and all that stuff, giving that away built an industry that smashed proprietary software. I mean, let's be honest about that. Linux won. You know, there's still Windows machines, there's still things like Active Directory, there's still win, you know, there's still proprietary stuff, but every day I think the proprietary parts of the industry lose a little more ground well, I mean, and I think that's fantastic
0: when and I don't mean to get too far off the topic, but you you've pointed at something that's been bothering me about the industry for a while, at least recently. Um, there's still a proprietary behemoth in the room, and that are that is cloud providers that are making proprietary products that are meant to work on their cloud and nobody else's. And I think Red Hat is doing a good job of trying to promote a way to avoid that lock-in, which has, at least recently, maybe even always, been their motto, no vendor lock-in. At least as long as I've been a customer of theirs. Uh, That's been something that they've they've touted, no vendor lock-in. Even though Red Hat is a vendor, and if you've really invested in their stuff... You're not quite locked in, um, but it is – you do sort of de- depend on them as a vendor. But they generally make an exit yeah. strategy at least possible, right? If I put data into a Red Hat piece of software, there's a way to get it back out, right? Where So I
1: think you're touching and, – and you're touching on a larger topic, which Stallman has written about, and that's that software-as-a-service model where – that's possibly – you can take open source components, build software as a service, but the consumer of that benefits not at all from the freedom that using open source components should give you, right? Because right. your data, your data, your work is, is ultimately somewhere else. So right. I think that's something worth keeping in mind as as you as a person or you as a company evaluate how you do IT – you know, where, you know, are you cool with the idea that your workflow and your data is somewhere else? Which has nothing to do with wizards and peons, by the way. Yeah,
0: know. right. I'm, I'm getting a little off topic. Um, but um, okay. the, I think the point I was trying to make was things like um, serverless, right? So like Lambda or... Um, yeah. Amazon's databases as a service or basically their proprietary cloud proprietary stuff where okay I've right, ri- I've written have- I've written functions to work in lambda and my application depends not on lambda work else. Right? right so now how would I move that to a different cloud provider well maybe you might think that's not a thing that's going to have to happen uh but maybe it's a thing you might want to think about right
1: Right, no, I, I'm not disagreeing with you on that one. I think, I think, and you know, when Red Hat talks about, you know, we, we talk about the hybrid cloud, that's, that's kind of what we are talking about, the ability to, yeah. to write an app and run it on your Fedora laptop, and then migrate it into your data center, and then if you need more capacity, you can copy it up into your cloud provider of choice. That's a, that's a level of freedom that, you know, we think you should have, right? But, you know, Lambda's easy. You don't have to do the heavy lifting.
0: Not only is it easy, but it's priced such that Amazon almost pushes you into it. If you want to run Red Hat software on top of AWS, you have to run it on EC2, which means you're paying EC2's prices, right? Where Lambda, they abstract a lot of that away, and they make it really cheap because you can just, like, call a Lambda function... And you're only paying for the seconds that it runs, right? Whereas an EC2 instance, if you're running an actual application that needs to be available all the time, you're running 24-7, which is like hour by hour by hour ticking away the cents, which looks inexpensive until you get that monthly bill, right? So, anyway, I don't want to turn this into an a, a AWS bashing session. <laughs> it's just a problem that well, I see a- in the AWS cloud. AWS does
1: some nifty things, but it's, it's a problem. Are, you know, that's definitely stuff you need to think about.
0: Yeah, it's a problem that I see in the cloud model that I wish was not a problem because the cloud gives you a ton of flexibility. And if it were priced in a way that didn't push you into products that locked you into a vendor, I think I'd be very happy using the cloud instead of building a data center. Because building a data center ain't cheap. <laughs> no, no, it ain't. No,
1: all right. So, anyway, back to wizards and peons. I don't know if we've, but that's stuff that you as a wizard can pass down to your peon or your in, padawan If we're gonna in... go with a Star Wars analogy, yeah, right, Yodas and Padawans. Yodas and Padawans.
0: Should I put that in parentheses as a subtopic? Yeah, right, a sub the subtitle. Um. So I guess this brings us to my last bullet point, which is really, um, as folks that are in the IT industry that have experience like you and I do, um, how can we help? And to me, the, the 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 first way to help is to simply share data like we have been, like we've already talked about the articles I've been writing for Enable SysAdmin and the articles I read on my own blog and this podcast and you with your webcasts and your your Tam Blog stuff. Um, but I guess the better question is, is there more we can do? or Is there more we should do? Or how even maybe could folks who are still starting out and maybe feel stifled by the wizards above them, um, what can they do to try to get out of that? I don't know if I have an answer to that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Because, so, if I'm, if I'm new at this stuff and I want to learn... The hardest thing for me might be finding a safe community to talk to, right? Um, the Linux community in the early days especially had a really bad reputation of beating the tar out of anybody who had the nerve to come in and post a question without having read every single how-to, yes. every single man page. Oh, it's well, RTFM. I tried, but, you know if you're new, one of the things is you don't even know what you don't know half the time, right? So yes. how would you even know to look for half the stuff? Um, so so as, as the Wizards, I think we owe it to build safe communities. So I'm a, I'm a moderator on the, uh, on the Red Hat subreddit, and a, a, a user posted a question because he was having some issues with um, – I think this was a performance issue. Something was hogging his processor, and he spent the first half of his question apologizing for every posting. And he he said he even expected people to maybe tear him up. So I went in there and I replied with both my Red Hat employee tag and my moderator tag active. And I said, "Well, here's what I think. You know, you might be running into." And I said, "And by the way, this this subreddit is for all Red Hat people, regardless of their of their level of skill." You should never feel guilty about asking a question in here. This, this, is, a, this is a safe place to learn. So, so hopefully he, 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 he replied and, and was very grateful about that. But hopefully other people who might have thought to jump down anybody's throat saw that. And I'm hoping that you know both as a moderator and as a Red Hat employee in that subreddit, that that carries maybe a little bit of weight and people would keep that in mind. You know, so so one of the things that we can do is, is to try and help build safe places where people can can ask questions and, and can ask for help when they need to. I actually see I the think same that's, that's really important.
0: I see the same thing in the Jeep community, which, you know, I don't wanna like get off the IT train here, but it's it's not No, but
1: it's it's similar. It's, it's a tribe, not, right?
0: Right. So it it's not it's not just in IT that I see this. Um and especially with the advent of social media, right? So there's... There's not... Uh, there yeah, is
1: Social media can be terrible. Right.
0: So there is a community... People who would
1: never... Yeah.
0: There's a community around jeeping and off-road similar to what you'd expect out of the Linux community. Um, it, it, really, there's a ton of similarities, which, again, I could make a whole other show about <laughs> similarities here. Um, and a lot of people... Who are in IT may look down on motorsports, right, and may never realize this connection like I've been able to see it. But anyway, uh, my point is, it gets the same thing, right? You go to a Jeep forum or a or a whatever you know platform of choice forum, and you say you know something that a billion people have asked before. You know, how much lift do I need to fit this size tire? Like that's actually a thing that is happening right now in the Jeep community. There's a lot of people that ask. How do I fit this size of tire on my Jeep without a lift? Well, there's a ton of people that are making fun of people that are asking that question. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, this has been asked a billion times, so we're going to make it a joke. We're going to make it a thing that you should be ashamed of asking. And that's not, like, personally, as as some of our viewers know, and I, I don't remember if I told you this or not, maybe you know, I run... A separate creative outlet where I'm releasing similar content, but in the Jeep world. And it's because of the same reason. I see people who are out there doing what I just described, not sharing the information, or sharing it in a way that's very condescending. And I hate that. I really hate that. And I want that to be something that is easy for people that are new in the industry, whether it's IT or Jeeps, or I want to lift my Chevy pickup. Whatever it is, I don't care how redneck you think that is, I want people to be able to find that information and I want them to be able to do it in a way, especially when it comes to like vehicle modifications, right? So I could do, I could lift my Jeep in a really janky, crazy way and then kill myself driving on the highway. I don't want people to do that. I want people to be able to find the right information and not kill themselves driving to work tomorrow, (laughs) right? Like that's a legitimate safety concern. Reasonable.
1: Right. Very so,
0: reasonable. Anyway, I guess that was a little bit of a rant, but um, my, my point is it's not just IT that, that suffers from this, and uh, it's really exactly what you pointed a finger at. Um, I remember in the 90s when I'm getting into Linux, that, that exact same thing. You ever go to the OpenBSD forums? You ever looked at OpenBSD? Uh,
1: n- I know about BSD. I'm familiar with some of the attitudes around it. I do not intentionally go to the open BSD forums. I if you ask in fact I know what they would be like.
0: If you ask any well, at the time, I don't know how it is now, because um, I haven't looked at open BSD in a very long time. But uh, if you went to the BSD mailing list and asked or forums or whatever and asked any question that had ever been answered before in the history of BSD, you would get ridiculed to the I, point where it's like <laughs> like why am I here? Oh, I better just—I better just go hide in a closet somewhere. I'm not worthy, and that is BS. And then BS. you go back
1: and install Windows on the machine because you're not going to use BSD, and then the community gets pissed because nobody uses BSD, right?
0: Right. Exactly. But but the, but they were the ones that were unwelcoming. Now I get it. When someone comes to you and asks you the same question that you've been asked a billion times, it's a little frustrating, right? There's a thousand times in these forums or in this mailing list where you could have just searched, found the answer you're looking for, and I wouldn't have to be typing anything to tell you the answer. Uh, but telling people, did you try to Google it? Did you did you use the search? I mean, come on. Just answer the
1: question. <laughs> yeah, I found that it's probably less keystrokes to just drop the URL and say, well, here here's, you know here's the, the Google results or whatever, than to be condescending and ask them if they've Googled it. I mean, it just doesn't take that long.
0: Right. So, yeah. yeah. I guess the, this, is, this is my rant to the, uh, to the community at large. Whether you're Jeepers or IT people, don't be so dang condescending. <laughs> help out the new people, and maybe they'll remember that, and they'll help out the next guy.
1: Yeah. No, I, I hear you, man. My, I thought we wanted everybody on the Linux train. We're not going to, uh, we're not doing ourselves favors when we throw them off onto the tracks. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And in, it, again, in the Jeeping community, there was a forum that I was a member of early on, um, and I'm not going to go into too many, too many details because I don't know how many people of you actually care about Jeeping, but they were very welcoming, and they weren't the sort of forum that would say. Did you try searching for that? Because we've, we've answered this question a hundred times. And because of that, I got really involved in that community. I became a moderator within that community. And when people would come with those questions, I would help them. Right? And, uh, I mean, I, I just think that that's a better way to handle this than telling people to go Google it. Right? Like, why? How much effort does it take to just answer a damn question? Or find the link for them and paste Not it. You know? Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, I don't know. Um, That's kind of all the points I had. Maybe we rambled a bit about this. Um, I don't know. you have any closing thoughts on that, Mark?
1: We covered it all pretty well. (laughs) Closing thoughts. (laughs) Um, I mean, to me, open source, a lot of the philosophies about it is about giving back. So if you know stuff, give some back. Be a mentor to somebody help other people out, but, you know, as, as part of improving yourself, right. As part of improving yourself, you probably have something that you're interested in that you you're not maybe the best at, and that's okay. Open yourself up and, and find somebody who's better than you and say, Hey, I'd like to learn about this. Like, um, in scouting, I already, you know, the, the guy who runs my daughter's venture crew name is Gordon. He's an engineer who works for Air Products. The, the dude is looks like a total redneck, but he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life. Right. If, if he had been on the island with Gilligan and the guys, he would have gotten them off the island in probably about thirty minutes. <laughs> uh, although he probably would have liked hanging out on the island and doing like cool redneck engineering pro, uh, projects. So maybe you know maybe they would have stayed there for a little while, but. Like he just—he's really good with canoeing and 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 doing stuff out in the woods and and all sorts of structural stuff around, you know, building shelters and stuff. So every trip I'm on with him, I learn something. I learn how to canoe better. I learn how to how to camp better. I learn, you know, we we just come up with some clever gadgets to make camp life better. Um, and. You know, I've I've done scouting for a decade now. I could be like, oh, I know what I'm doing, but I, I, I'm honest enough with myself to realize that there's a lot of lot of men and women who have been doing it longer than me. So when I when I run into one of them who knows more than me, I'm like, hey, what can I learn from this person? Yes, you
0: know, that's a very valid valid having, approach.
1: Having having enough humility there to to realize you don't yeah. know everything is important.
0: Yeah, don't try to show up the people who who. Because I mean, I I can think of a, a, probably a thousand scenarios where you encounter someone who knows more than you, and instead of trying to learn from that person, you try to show them how much you know.
1: No, the first the first thing you do is you try and play top this. Well, I know this about the subject, and then it, right. it, it doesn't help.
0: Right, right. You try to make you try to make yourself look like an equal or uh, a better than them, right? And what does that really help? I mean, yeah. I guess it helps you gauge what they know, but, yeah,
1: Eh, yeah, but there's better ways to do that. There are better ways to do that. There's less obnoxious ways to do that.
0: See, so, yeah, I think uh, the point of all of this is uh, don't be a dick. <laughs> Help out the Great people. Great advice for life. Help out the people who don't know what they're, don't know what they're doing yet. Don't, uh, don't make them feel bad for asking questions, because why, why do that? And if you're someone that's in that position, don't be afraid to ask questions. And if you come across someone who gives you a hard time for asking questions, ask somebody else. That person ain't worth your time.
1: Yeah. Right. And, you know, to one of your original points about experts being very open most of the time, more than once at Red Hat, I've run across somebody who I'm like, I really I really admire the work this person's doing, or I'm really impressed. I've gone out of my way to say, hey, uh, can you like mentor me about this? And sometimes they're like, really, I didn't think I was that great at this or wow, that yeah, sure. And, you know, people, people uh, sometimes have imposter syndrome themselves about yes. what they know.
0: That's a very so, valid point. So uh, it's
1: not, it might not be that they're a jerk who doesn't want to teach somebody. They might legitimately feel that they have nothing to share when, in fact, they often do.
0: Yeah, Jason and I talked about including that as one of the, the talking points, and I forgot to put it in my my points here. But imposter syndrome is real. I mean, I, I hit it all the time.
1: I run Everybody at po- Red Hat has it. I way. run an IT podcast. Every single one of us.
0: Right, so obviously I feel like I have something to share, but... Um, I am constantly running into this, into this, this whole idea that's like, I don't know this. Why would I talk about this? And then when I start talking about it, I'm like, you know, I, I do kind of know this.
1: <laughs> Maybe I know a thing or two. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not uh, that's, John Snow.
0: That's happening to me all the time. You know, where it's just like a topic Hashtag comes not up. Not John Snow. Yeah, topic yeah. comes up and it's like, oh yeah, you know, I. I, I almost sounded intelligent when talking about that thing. Maybe I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> but we've covered imposter syndrome on this show in the past, and I don't know, maybe it's time we did another show on it to to really uh, bring it to any new listeners or whatever. I, I could probably find it in the, the past episodes, but...
1: They can always, Yeah, they can always look in the archives, too. Just you know? go listen to Google all it. of our episodes. Go. Google Iron Sysadmin Imposter Syndrome. Yeah. What, you didn't Google it? Yeah. What a <laughs> Why litter? didn't you Google that? Oh, wait a minute. I just, oh, man, I just untook our advice. That's terrible. Oh, I'm a terrible person.
0: All right, so I think person. we've we've covered the topic well enough, folks. If you think we missed anything, please feel free to contact us. Um, you can reach me on Twitter as at gangriff. That's probably the best way. Uh, Mark, do you have a way you prefer people to reach out to you? I know you're not a big Twitter user.
1: Uh, I mean, you can you can ping me on the Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll see that. Do we get, do you get email notifies when people Twitter you? I don't know. I, I, I don't even know. I use
0: Twitter enough yeah. that I've never had to worry about that. I think you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All I right. I think you could. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> yeah, probably. So if you if you're so fascinated by my babblings and thank you so much, Nate, for having me, yeah, you can try DMing me on Twitter or reaching out to me on Twitter. I'm and, I'm also on the Facebook, which uh I I don't like being on the Facebook nowadays, but there's too many scout parents who expect me to post pictures of their kids when we're on outings. So. Yeah, I don't
0: think anybody really I'm likes Facebook, but everyone's there anyway. Uh, except except Jason. Uh, He's not there. He's still not there. Someday maybe he will be, but I, I don't I, I don't think Much it's like
1: admiration it. for Jason for staying off of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, feel free. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn too if you want. I guess you could, could send me a message that way.
0: So I can um, reach Mark if, well, yeah. anybody is, if anybody wants to and get a hold sure, of Mark and, and has a question regarding what we said tonight. Uh, reach I'm out on to the me. My
1: parents been Slack now. Too. Yes,
0: Uncle Mark. You can find Uncle Mark on our Uncle Slack Mark. now um so yeah i think this i think this, this has been a good informative topic and uh like i said if anybody has I any good back out of it has any questions or wants to reach out or whatever just just hit us up um if you can't get a hold of mark just let me know and we can i can certainly relay a message to him um thank you to anybody who's joined us in the live chat there's been a couple people um we've unfortunately ignored it a bit because i was busy running the show and i don't know if you could even see the live chat could you mark
1: <laughs> um, I could see it. That that's when I do this and stare at the screen, that's me looking at it on my one display. I
0: see Academic Jim in there. That's
1: cool. I did see Academic Jim, which yeah. is awesome.
0: He did quite a bit of chatting and I feel bad for not responding. I'm sorry, Jim.
1: <laughs> and if you've been listening to this recording and you've made it this long, then Stallman bless you, man. Yeah, right. It's two hours. Right.
0: Yeah, we <laughs> are we are cresting the two hour point. Which is why I think we should finish up <laughs> we should (laughs) we've had a couple shows longer than two hours but not many
1: (laughs) let's not go for a record tonight
0: right all right folks so if you liked what we did tonight go review it on itunes because that's how we know what you like and what you don't uh you can see the iron Sisabin podcast roughly i say that very like usually how's that usually every second and fourth Thursday of every month. Um, this month got all kinds of messed up because I've got training to go to and scheduling uh, with Mark and the accelerators threw off the, the show for this week uh, and then it got changed and, you know, well, this kind of stuff happens. Um, so normally the second and fourth Thursday of every month you can you can catch the show live uh, or you can always just subscribe to us on, on Apple Podcasts Or uh, just go hit up IronSystemIn.com and you can find links there to all the various places you can subscribe to the show or the YouTube channel if you want to watch us live. Um, You can join our Slack workspace, like Mark just mentioned, ironsystemincom slash Slack will get you to a permanent invite link, which uh, Mark just went through before the show and was very confused by the fact that it made him register for a new account.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just the way it works, I suppose. Well, not it? flipping attached to my existing slack whatever. I know I mean slack, it ultimately did slack went it. slack
0: went through this effort of <sighs> consolidating the accounts not long ago you'd think that that would direct you there maybe it's because the link is so old I did generate it like a year uh, and a right. half ago anyway um, we covered slack okay the the Twitter is in the Facebook you can find iron sysmin podcast on Twitter it's at iron Sysadmin. on Facebook facebook.com slash iron um, remember to subscribe so you can hear when we go live and whatnot. And as I mentioned before, you can support the show um, financially via Patreon, Patreon.com/Irondysadmin. And I think that is it for tonight. Want to say good night, Mark? Good night, Mark. Good night, Mark. <laughs> All right, good night, folks. <laughs> and thank you to those of you who watched us live tonight. Thanks a bunch and for having me. We will catch you next time. And I hit the wrong button. I'll have to edit that out. I'm sorry, folks. Here's the real outro.